Good morning, everyone. And we're, we've got one more session to do in this series of Lord's Prayer. And today we're talking about, if you haven't guessed it yet, we're talking about forgiveness. And I'd like us just to go through the Lord's Prayer one time uh, together. And uh, this is from the New Living Translation. So it may be a little different than what you're used to. So I need you to not just quickly say it off the top of your head, but I need you to follow the words. Could you do that? It was kind of fun listening to people trying to say the Lord's Prayer this morning because the words here are a little different than what you're used to. So Jesus said, pray like this. Are you ready? Our Father in heaven. Very well done. In fact, I should just put the sermon up there and you can read it. Very well done. I like that very much. Well, today we're talking about that petition that says, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. In 1984, a movie came out directed by Milos Forman. Uh, the movie was called Amadeus. Some of you may have remembered that. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But it's based on the life of the composer Mozart. The movie begins in 1823 as the elderly uh, Antonio Salieri, a contemporary of Mozart, attempts suicide by slitting his throat while loudly begging Mozart for forgiveness. He is trying def- desperately, desperately to get relief from guilt. Placed in a lunatic asylum for the act, Salieri is visited by Father Vogler a young priest who seeks to take his confession. And Salieri is sullen and he's uninterested, but eventually he warms to the priest and launches into a long confession about his relationship with Mozart. Salieri has an intense jealousy and even a bitterness towards Mozart because of Mozart's tremendous talent, a a talent that is far greater than his. And furthermore, Salieri is angry and bitter towards God because God has endowed Mozart with this great musical talent and Salieri is found wanting. It makes it even more difficult when you consider that Salieri has made a commitment to God to remain chaste, to not marry for the rest of his life in payment for the great skill and talent that he's hoping God will give him. But Mozart's better. And Salieri launches into what we could only call an insane plot to kill Mozart. And what he does is he works covertly, working Mozart to death by commissioning Mozart to write a special piece. After Mozart's dead, Salieri is more unhappy than ever. Now he's plagued by this extreme guilt, and he wants to be absolved of it. And this is why we find him at the beginning of the movie, he slits his throat and crying out, forgive me. He wants to be forgiven of his sin. This film is nominated for 53 film awards, and in fact received 40, including the Best Picture, the Academy Award for the Best Picture, 
and the best actor for Abrams, who played Salieri. The question is, why did this strike a chord? Was it because of the music? I think the music was fantastic in it. I love Mozart. But even more than that, I believe that the movie struck a chord. It struck a chord dealing with what all of us experience, what every human heart experiences, and that's the great desire to be absolved or forgiven, to be free of guilt. And you may be here this morning, and there's some guilt in your heart. You feel ashamed, in fact. In fact, you've allowed yourself to become distant from God because of the guilt in your heart. And you feel that maybe somehow, some way, you can't draw close to God because of your sin. The question in your mind this morning is this. How can I be forgiven? The question in your heart may be this. How can I go on being forgiven? How can I live a life free of that choking guilt? Well, the good news for all of us today is this. Jesus understands our need to be free. Jesus understands the temptation and the struggle that you are going through. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus became man so that he would understand what you and I go through. He understands our struggle. He understands our pain. He understands our temptation. He knows the powerful and painful effects of sin. He is a high priest, the Bible says, that is fully acquainted with our temptation, with our struggle. And it's for this reason that included in this Lord's Prayer are these words. And let's read it, Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. This morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to show you how you can live a life with a clean and a pure heart totally forgiven, totally guilt-free. I want to show you how you can live a life without that horrible burden and that horrible stress that plagues every human heart. Folks, this is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus Christ brought us, that we can be free, that we don't have to live with that burden of guilt. And so Jesus teaches us to pray. God, it's a great need. In fact, some would argue the greatest need of every human heart. God, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. I'm going to tell you today how you can be forgiven and how you can live a life free of the facts of sin. Does that sound like good news? Well, let me just recap a few things from the Lord's Prayer. Jesus was asked by his disciples, Jesus, John's disciples have been taught how to pray. Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? We want to know how to pray too. We see you praying all the time. In fact, Jesus, we see you going off alone praying, but we're just left there sort of twiddling our thumbs. We would like to know how to pray too. 
And so Jesus teaches this prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Maybe a better name for it would be the Disciples' Prayer because it was for them. Now, here's what all of us need to understand this morning. The Lord's Prayer is not a suggestion. It's not just a prayer that you can pray in addition to your other prayers. For instance, I was uh, at someone's home the other day, and I saw on the wall, uh, it framed, entitled, An Irish Prayer. And it goes, May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial, for every problem life sends, a faithful friend to share, for every sigh a sweet song, and an answer for each prayer. This touches you, doesn't it? Very sentimental. Very sweet sentiment. But it's not what you really need to pray. Some of you have been through AA, and this prayer that I'm going to share with you is a prayer that's become it's come near and dear to your heart. It's called the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, so look it. I'm not, I'm not coming down on these prayers, but I, but I will tell you this, that these are prayers, but they're not the prayer. When my mother uh, was raising us kids, she taught us to pray. My sister's at the back. She can collaborate with me on this one. And it is the, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my, and if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord. Is that the most gruesome prayer you ever heard? <laughs> I mean, you want to give your children nightmares? Teach them that. If you die in the night, you better make sure that God's going to take you back to heaven. Thanks, Mom. My mom was in the first service, so I, I, you know, I told my mom that she's got to clean up her act a bit here. But anyway, <laughs> look at these are prayers. Oh, you know what? I googled. I googled prayers, and here's what I discovered. Uh, in fact, there's a site that you can go to, and listen to this, folks. Uh, there's a site that has three thousand five hundred and sixty-nine different Catholic prayers for all your needs. Three thousand. 569 different Catholic prayers. But here's the thing, folks. You don't need 3,569. You don't need the serenity prayer. You don't need the Irish prayer. And you certainly don't need the bedtime prayer. What you need is the Lord's prayer. The disciples said, God, teach us. Jesus, teach us how to pray. We want to know what to pray. We want to know how to pray. And so Jesus says this, very good, I'm going to give you a prayer. And here's what he says, quote, whenever you pray, you hearing this? Whenever you pray, pray like this, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Whenever you pray, this is what you should pray. Now, some of you have heard the term or the expression. You're familiar with it from the Scripture, the idea of praying in the Spirit. In order to pray in the Spirit, my friends, in order to pray a prayer that is quickened or strengthened by the Spirit, you need to pray the prayer that Jesus told you to pray. 
Now, you need to understand that this prayer is a skeleton. It is a structure, and we said this right from the beginning, that you put meat on. It's like when you, maybe if you've ever written an essay in, in school, they teach you that you, first of all, come up with, a, with an outline, and once you've got your outline done, then you begin to put flesh on it. That's really what this prayer is. It's a prayer that covers all the bases. Now, it begins, oh, I, should, I just need to add this, by the way. In, in teaching his disciples how to pray, Jesus does not give them a time that they need to pray. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, well, you need to pray uh, uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning and then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and then 6 o'clock at night. He didn't, n- nothing like that. He says, whenever you pray, this is how you should pray. And the other thing that Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't suggest a posture for prayer. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, get out a prayer mat and get on your face, on your knees, and bow with your head towards Jerusalem with your butt in the air. Jesus doesn't say that. What does he say? He just says, whenever you pray, this is how you should pray. I read about the great pastor, uh, Paul young Cho, who for many years was the pastor of the largest church in the world in North Korea, or South Korea. And he was invited to speak in North America to some pastors. And uh, this pastor thought, well, what, what do we do with this South Korean pastor? What, what do we do to occupy him and, and uh, give him a good time? So they decide that they're going to take him golfing. Now, that's not what I would do to give somebody a good time, but that's what they were going to do. They're going to take him golfing. And so I think everybody understands the point of going golfing with your friends is you're going to visit with everybody. You hit the ball a few times. Uh, you visit. You talk. You chat. Uh, but not, not Young Gi Cho. He was, he was distracted. He, he hit the ball. I don't know if he even knew where the ball was going. Uh, and then he'd go back, and he's, just, he's got his head bowed, and he's, he's concentrating on something else. So finally, one of the pastors, getting close to the end of the game, says, uh, can I ask you a question? Why aren't you talking to us? He goes, oh, I, I beg your pardon. I'm sorry. I was talking to God. And the pastor said, well, like for the whole game, the whole 18 holes? Oh, he says, you don't understand what I'm doing. He says, what I'm doing is I'm doing laps. I'm doing prayer laps. Prayer laps? What's that? Well, he says, essentially what I'm doing is I'm going, I keep going through the Lord's Prayer. I keep running through it. I keep on, and different things come to my mind as I go through it. And so this was his prayer pattern, going through the Lord's Prayer over and over. Jesus says, whenever you pray. And the idea, folks, is that it's not just a a one-off kind of thing. Jesus did not give the Lord's Prayer so that this would be something that you would recite as part of your liturgy on a Sunday morning. Jesus did not give this prayer for the churches to recite it mindlessly every Sunday morning. And some of you come from a tradition where the Lord's Prayer is recited at every service. Now, there's nothing wrong with it, but that's not why Jesus gave it. It's not given as a a part of your liturgy. And so here's what you and I need to understand about this prayer. This prayer is for you. It's for you to think closely about what it is that you need. This prayer consists of a number of petitions. And the beginning of this prayer are petitions, folks, that focus not on your needs first, but on God. 
Now, can I just remind everybody? I don't know about you, but when it, sometimes when I'm desperate and I want to go into prayer, the, the first thing I want to do when I go to pray is start telling God all about my problems, right? Isn't that, isn't that what we all do? God, I'm in big trouble. I need your help. You got, you got to move in here. You got to rescue me. I'm in, my, my finances are in trouble. My marriage is in trouble. I got problems with my kids, my job, my, and on and on it goes. And God's saying, hold on a minute here. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Let's get some perspective here. Let's get ourselves under control. And so Jesus reminds us that what we need to do is first focus on the Father. Now, this is a very uh, revolutionary idea to, the, to Jesus' hearers. Because when we read in the Old Testament, we discover that the term or the name Father is only used about 15 times in the Old Testament. Only 15 times. You see, the, the Jewish people felt God was, I mean, you, you can't even say the name of God. You've got to use the tetragrammaton, the, the, the YHWH, and we've got Peter here, so he's, he knows all the facts on that. Peter, our, our expert on Israel and Jewish teachings and matters. But we, we see that this notion of this idea that God cannot be approached. Even though, if you read the Old Testament, you'll discover that God says over and over and over again to, to his people, come to me, come to me, talk to me, pray to me, speak with me, let me help you. But the people have got this idea in their head that God cannot be approached. He's too holy, he's too great, he can't be approached. And along comes Jesus. And he says, I'm going to change your thinking on this. I'm going to give you brand new teaching and help you understand who God really is. God knows you're sinful. God knows that you drop the ball. God knows that you mess up. He's your father, and he loves you. And so in the Old Testament, the name father used 15 times. Matthew, Mark, and Luke used the term father 65 times. And then we get to the Gospel of John, the title Father is used at least 100 times. So you get the idea, folks, that something very special, something very precious, something amazing is happening. God is revealing himself as a loving father who wants to help his children. He wants to help his children. I want the Spirit of God to speak to you today because God is here and he wants to help you. Yeah, he wants to help us, but he wants to specifically help you with whatever it is that you're going through. And so we come to him, and we concentrate on him as our father. And then we pray, may your kingdom come. And we're reminded that he's our king and that there's a, a kingdom established through Jesus Christ and his spirit. And we realize that Jesus is reigning supremely. And then we're reminded that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're reminded that God is sovereign and that he's in control and he knows what he's doing and there's no surprises for God and God knows your situation and God's gonna help you through whatever it is that you're going through. Only after we go through these first three petitions, concentrating on God, do we move on now to these very personal petitions. And last week, Mark spoke about, give us this day our daily bread. God, meet our needs and today we talk about, God, forgive us our sins, our spiritual needs. Give us, forgive us. This petition, in this petition, we're asking for forgiveness. But here's the thing, folks. 
If you first of all have focused on the greatness of your God, on his power, on his majesty, on his ability to forgive you, then folks, no matter how great your sin is, our God is greater than your sin. No matter how great your sin may have been this past week, this morning, this past month, or in the early parts of your, of your existence, know this today, that God is greater. And he calls you to come to him with your sin, with your failings, with your shortcomings. He calls you to come to him and find the forgiveness that he wants to give you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to forgive you your sins. He wants you to know a heart that's fully clean because he knows the thing that's going to bring you the greatest joy in this life is a heart that's been set free, a heart that's no longer burdened by your guilt. This is the great God that we serve, folks. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we preach. Praying for forgiveness, then, is God's idea. You say, but Pastor Allen, this is about some of the best news I've heard. I want that forgiveness. Well, God wants to give it to you. But I got to tell you that there are actually a couple of conditions to forgiveness. And you need to know, and I need to know, that we will continue in our guilt and in our sin the burden of sin, we will face an eternity without God unless these two conditions are satisfied. The first condition, folks, is that you have to be a Christian. You've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some of you know that Jesus Christ had 12 disciples, and the purpose of these disciples was to train them, was to teach them what the gospel is. Jesus was, was preparing them, preparing to send them out to share with the world the good news of his love. And so we find Peter sharing this good news in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Listen to what Peter says. Referring to Christ and his work at the cross, Peter says this, Jesus personally carried our sin in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By Christ's wounds, we are healed. That was the good news that Peter was called to, set, to preach to the world. And then we come across John, and here's what John says in 1 John 3, 4 to 6. It says, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. And so we recognize that our sins are taken away. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has taken our sins from us. If we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. When you become a Christian, here's what happens. You lose your callousness 
and become sensitive to sin. You don't want to sin anymore. You don't want to live with that sin. You want to be guilt-free. You want to be sin-free. You want to be clean. You become a Christian. Will you still sin? Will you still make mistakes? Yes. Folks, that is why Jesus includes in his prayer, Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So the very first condition is this. You need to put your faith in Christ to be forgiven. But here's the second thing that needs to happen. You actually have to forgive others. And this is probably the toughest part of the Christian faith. You have to forgive others, and I mean everyone. You say, Pastor Allen, you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know what my friend did to me. You don't know what my uncle did to me. You don't know. I had someone come up to me after the first service this morning and said, this is the hardest sermon I've ever heard. Tears streaming down her cheeks. And I said, well, today you can be free by forgiving that person who so horribly hurt you. And I could sense and see the weight lift from her shoulders. Jesus says you have to forgive. Now, here's the thing, folks. This prayer, this prayer, this petition, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. This is the only petition. This is the only part of the prayer that actually has a footnote. When you read Matthew 6, 14 and 15, just after Jesus has completed the prayer, here's what Jesus says. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But look at this. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let the Spirit of God speak to you today. Because I know many of you here today instantly thought of somebody that has hurt you. And you have made a vow, I'm never forgiving him. I'm never going to forgive her. I'm never going to let her go. I'm never going to let it go. I'm going to hold on to it to my grave. Jesus is saying, but if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive you. I read recently about a professor, his name was Worthington, teaches at Virginia Commonwealth University. Somebody broke into his home, into his mother's home, and while, while his mother was there and the robbers were going through the house, they came across her and they they killed her right on the spot. He said, I could do one of two things. He said, I could hold bitterness in my heart for the rest of my life, or I could find a solution. So here's what he says. Remember, he is a professor of psychology, and he knows that this is going to affect his life, not just personally, but professionally. And so he, he launches into a study to see what happens when people forgive. And here's what he discovers he showed, he, through his studies, he showed that forgiveness actually aids mental and physical health. And, while the, and, and the opposite reaction for those who refuse to forgive, those who insist on holding a grudge, those who insist on harboring resentment, they, they experience the opposite effect. They experience profound mental and profound physical pain and suffering. 
The question is this, because I know what you're thinking. That person does not deserve to be forgiven. I know that. But can I ask you a question? Do you deserve to be forgiven your sin? God's great love sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to this broken and hurting world to set all of us free. And what Jesus asked us to do is what God did for us. He asked us to forgive. In 2006, the 32-year-old Charles Roberts stormed into a one-room schoolhouse in an Amish community in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Some of you will remember it. He shot at 10 girls, killing five before turning the gun on himself. And despite enormous shock and grief, several of the victim's family members appeared at the killer's funeral just days later, offering for forgiveness to the widow of that killer. The whole world looked on because everybody knew that these Amish people were supposed to be followers of Jesus Christ. They wanted to know what would the reaction be? What would these Amish people who call themselves Christians, what would they do? The day after they buried their own daughters, they went to the funeral of the killer of their daughters. And the Amish community ended up donating money to the killer's widow and the killer's three young children. And the world stepped back and said, we don't understand this kind of forgiveness, but we do know this, there's something supernatural about it. There's something real. Folks, I can't force anybody to forgive anybody. But understand that Jesus Christ said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. Now listen, folks. This is the instruction that Jesus gives in order for us to experience and know that abundant and wonderful life. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. I woke up Saturday morning to breaking news on CNN, and some of you will have seen it. A madman broke into a church, opening fire on people who had gathered for a prayer and Bible study. Nine people were slain inside that historic Charleston Church, Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. The white supremacist, Dylan Roof, only 21 years old, was captured and brought before the judge. And the judge invited the victim's family members to come and to say whatever they want, to offer a victim impact statement. And here's what they said. They expressed their pain and their anguish But they also said they would forgive him. Remember, the whole world is looking on at this church to see what their reaction is going to be. This church that professes faith in Jesus Christ. And a daughter of one of the victims said, I'll never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. The sister of another said, We have no room for hating. 
so we have to forgive. I pray, God, on your soul. Why do I share these things with you? Because you need to understand that it is actually possible to forgive. It is possible to let go of that hurt, that pain from five years ago, 10 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, or from yesterday. It's possible. And here's the thing, folks. When you forgive, God does a work in you. You forgive for your sake. You forgive for what God wants to do in you. So my question today is, who do you need to forgive? Some had said that holding a grudge, being bitter, is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Who do you need to forgive? Because God wants to set you free. God wants you to be free. God wants you to know what it is to have a clean heart. You have to put your faith in Christ, and you have to forgive those around you, and you'll be free. Would you bow your heads with me, please? God, you are here so powerfully today. And even now, Lord, you're you're showing each and every one of us people that we need to forgive. And it's painful and it's difficult. It's making us squirm. And we don't want to face this. And yet we know in our heart, in the deepest parts of our hearts, that to, to forgive is the only way forward. It's the only way that we will be free. And so, God, right now I pray for each one here. I pray each one here would, even this very moment, say, God, I forgive him. I forgive her. I want to let it go. I want to be free. I want to know a clean heart. I want to be free of the guilt. I want to be free of the shame. Lord, thank you for the reminder in your word that says that the one whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus, only you can do that work in us. And we invite you to do it in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Amen.